Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihi sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa azwajihi wa dhurriyatihi wa ahli baytihi wa man tabi'ahum bi ihsanin ila yumiddini wa ba'd We left off last week in the middle of the chapter regarding the adhan and the iqama and so we talked about some issues about how the adhan and the iqama uh, should be called in some different ahkam that are uh, are connected with it uh, can anyone mention a sunnah of the adhan and the iqama that is not connected with the salat at time that it's sunnah to call the adhan and iqama that has nothing to do with the salat Uh, when the child is born. Yeah, when a baby is born, it's narrated. Um, the fuqaha have different opinions with regards to it, but at any rate, there are some athar that are that are that are that come with regards to uh, the saying the adhan in the right ear of the child and the iqama in the left ear of the child when it's born. Uh, wallahu a'lam. But at any rate, those issues we talked about them uh, last week, and uh, uh, today we're going to talk about the wording of the adhan. Uh, and says, "Well, Adanu Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Thumma turajj' bi arfa'i min sotika al-awwala maratin, min sotika awwala maratin, fatukarru tashahuda, fatakulu Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah." أشهدوا أن محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح فإن كنت في نداء الصبح زدتها هنا الصلاة خير من النوم الصلاة خير من النوم لا تقول ذلك في غير نداء الصبح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله مرة واحدة so this brings us to the the two different recensions that come of the adhan in uh, uh, in, in the different narrations of hadith. So most of you are familiar with the narration of Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, uh, which is uh, uh, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, and then Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, Hayya ala salah, Hayya ala salah, Hayya ala al-falah, Hayya ala al-falah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah. Uh, and this is, uh, uh, my understanding is this is the fatwa of Imam Abu Hanifa. But there's another, there's another narration of the adhan uh, 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 that's uh, uh, narrated by uh, uh, Ibn Abi Mahdura, uh, which is similar, but it's, it's a little bit different, that a person says the takbir twice instead of four times. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Then a person says in a slightly lower voice, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Then a person raises their voice louder, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, again, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, Ashadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Uh, and then the rest of the adhan is, is more or less the same. Hayya ala salah, hayya ala salah, hayya ala al-falah, hayya ala al-falah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah. And so the story with this is as follows, that the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa as far as I can tell from the athar, had three, three mu'adhins. There were three mu'adhins in the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa during his lifetime. 
The first Mu'adhan, obviously, and the most well-known is Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The second Mu'adhan was Abdullah bin Ibn Ummi Maktoum, uh, who is the uh, blind, blind companion uh, from Abbas al-Tawalla. Uh, he himself couldn't see. Uh, however, he, radiallahu uh, ta'ala uh, anhu, he would rely on the other companions to tell him if the... the do you mind just on the side of your mind? So the, he would rely on the other companions to uh, 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 tell him when the, the time of the prayer would come in, and when they would tell him, he would give the adhan as well. And uh, uh, the third one is this Abdullah, uh, this Ibn Abi Mahdura, uh, 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 who, uh, 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 who his story is interesting that uh, he wasn't a Muslim, and he would actually mock the adhan. It was funny for him, you know. He would mock the Adhan. And this is something I've seen actually, especially we have like uh, in America, we have like soldiers that went to go and fight the Persian Gulf War. You'll have like expatriates will go and like work in different places. And people have like a very visceral reaction to the Adhan. Some people enjoy it and love it and it makes them feel good. And some people really hate it. You know, there are some people, you know, in the Emirates or whatever, you know, they're expat workers. They'll roll down the window and cuss at the top of their lungs. It like bothers them so much. Uh, you know, and there's some people that they really, they, it really brings them comfort despite not not uh, acknowledging uh, Islam outwardly. And so uh, this uh, Abu Mahdura, uh, he uh, uh, his uh, he basically was mocking the Adhan one day, and uh, he just he got up and he started kind of screaming uh, in a way to just m- make fun of it. And he didn't know that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was there and hearing hearing this. So what happens is when he's in the middle of it, uh, the Rasul Sallallahu puts his hand on him, he turns around, he said, I saw the Messenger of Allah and he overwhelmed me, you know? And so he says that, uh, he says that, uh, 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 the, that, that the Prophet Sallallahu told me that you give the Adhan very well, can you give it for me once? And so he said that out of my being overwhelmed by awe and respect, uh, I tried to give the Adhan as nicely as I could. And he said that when I got to the point of saying Shadu Allah ilaha illallah, I was like embarrassed to say it because I wasn't a Muslim at the time. Uh-huh. And so he said, I said it in a low voice. And the Prophet said, you said that really nicely, now say it louder. Uh-huh. And so he, he repeated it louder again afterward. And uh, he then completed the entire adhan. And, uh, um, and then after that, the Prophet says, come give the adhan in our masjid. And so he became he became one of the the, the official muaddins of the uh, of the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And so and then thereafter he said I always gave the adhan the way that the Prophet sallallahu instructed me initially to to, to uh, recite it. So that's why there's the repetition of the uh, of the shahadatain in it. Uh, and so the this is a, a classical example of where there's a, a a divergence of what's narrated in hadith and what the practice is. Because the, the, in the Ahd salaf in the time of the, the, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, the tabi'een, the taba tabi'een, in Medina Munawwara, this is the way that the adhan was called. Um, whereas the narration of Sayyidina Bilal, because he was very well known as being the mu'adhan of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the hadith became very famous with regards to that. Despite this fact, Muslim, Sahih Muslim, if you look in Sahih Muslim, um, only the hadith of uh, Abu Mahdura comes in Sahih Muslim. It's the only narration of the Adhan. So I've had people come up to me and say, what is this? I've never seen this before, heard this before. So I'll just crack open Sahih Muslim. I'll say, look, it's right there, you know? Uh, and of course, everybody uh, maintains that all the Adhans are, are valid, but it's a, a matter of slight preference. That the Amal, the, 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 the practice of tradition was 
in Medina Munawwara was for the Tarjir, whereas the, the, the narration of the Adhan with regards to the way Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu anhu uh, would give it, it traveled far and wide. And one of the reasons for that, one of the reasons that the practice of the Adhan of Sayyidina Bilal didn't continue as a, 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 a kind of like a, a theory of mine is that Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu anhu, after the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa died, he's only, uh, he's only recorded to have given the Adhan twice. Uh, once he, he came, he left Medina Munawwara and went on jihad fi sabilillah. You have to understand that he was a freed slave. People didn't treat him well, you know, uh, amongst the Arabs. And uh, uh, the, in, in Jahiliyyah, you know, people didn't treat him well. And uh, they almost tortured him to death for accepting Islam. And his patron and the one who protected him was the Prophet And so when the Rasul left, he was so dejected and so heartbroken that uh, he basically would go uh, to the frontiers and fight jihad fi sabilillah, you know, hoping basically to, uh, to leave this world as a shaheed. And he fought his whole life, and uh, he didn't have the heart to come back to Medina Munawwara. And there's a long, uh, very uh, emotional uh, hadith with regards to him, uh, the Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam, seeing him and uh, him seeing a Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam in a dream, telling him that uh, it's been so long, how come you didn't come to visit me? So he comes to visit the the uh, Medina Munawwara, and people ask him to give the adhan again, and he 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 doesn't he doesn't oblige until uh, the grandsons of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Hussein asked him, and so he feels unable to uh, to say no because they said that we did we want to hear what did the adhan sound like you know in the time of our grandfather sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and so when he gave the adhan they said that everybody who heard it in Medina Munawwara even the women they came out of the houses to hear it and there was like uh, there was not a dry eye in the entire city everybody was weeping, um, and then after that he never gave the adhan again, radiyallahu taala anhu, but. Uh, uh, with regards to uh, Abu Mahdura, uh, uh, ostensibly it seems that he was the one who kept the silsila of the adhan in the in the uh, masjid of the Prophet Sallallahu alive, uh, especially because he was much younger than even uh, because he was much younger than Abdullah ibn uh, Umm Maktoum, uh, so he was probably the senior mu'adhan for a majority of the the era of the Salaf. So that's why the practice of his adhan uh, was there. This is an interesting masala. I'll let uh, Sheikh uh, uh, Musa, inshallah, uh, give us some more information with regards to that. But the, the, the issue is so, uh, um, there's, so much, there, there, there's so much evidence on both sides. Even uh, Tahawi, Imam Tahawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, who is a Hanafi, he's a great muhaddith and he's a, a faqih of the Hanafi madhab. He actually mentions that uh, uh, Abu Yusuf, the companion of Abu Hanifa, that after he uh, meets with Imam Malik and discusses the the uh, the, the uh, what you call the, the 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 different proofs on the different side, he actually will accept the uh, the tarjiyah also as being part of the adhan to repeat the shahadatain over and over again. So my understanding is in the Shafi'i school, the way that they make tatbiq, the way that they they kind of combine both uh, both narrations together, is that the Imam will say the 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 shahadatain silently once. Uh, so it sounds like the, uh, because silently no one can hear it, so it sounds like the adhan of Bilal radiallahu anhu from the person listening from the outside, but the way the person the giving it will be uh, the adhan of Tarjiyah, uh, which was the adhan in, in the Masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa in the time of the Salaf. And obviously, again, there's no haraj either way. Yeah, both of them are 
valid adhans, but this is something, you know, many people until they uh, until they sit in the dars of fiqh, they don't know, they don't know about this. So, inshallah, Shaykh. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam wa rasulillah wa alihi wa azwajihi wa dhuriyyatihi wa ashabihi wa man wala. Actually don't have too much to add to it, being that this is a Maliki fiqh class. Other than the fact that, mashallah, um, I think a lot of people would have a fit if you started discussing the fact that the adhan, there was differences about it. People are so caught up in their own kind of ways of doing things and they just kind of presume that like, you know, Islam is very clear and it's just black and white and here's the hadith, right? And um, uh, we know just from a very simple uh, kind of uh, surface reading and scanning of the books of fiqh that even in the adhan there was di legitimate differences of opinion and how they're called the adhan amongst the, the four imams. Um, and as uh, Sheikh Hamza mentions, if he were to call the adhan according to the way of the Maliki school, people would probably start wondering, what are you doing? You know, they already like, give him enough trouble for like, you know, whatever else that he's doing, not realizing that it's all there and it's all backed with the proofs. Um, so those are there. In the Hanafi school, there's no tarjiyah. The way that we hear it is the dominant, is the opinion in the Hanafi school, and you don't repeat, and that's based on the adhan of Abdullah bin Zaid, anhu. So his adhan is the one which is the most famous, and you know, it's interesting because Abdullah bin Zaid, anhu, that's the only hadith that he narrated. He was a companion, but he has no other narration of hadith. That's the only hadith he narrated, hadith of the adhan. And, you know, he became famous for that. So, yeah, you know, he, even when you say Abdullah bin Zayd Yani al-Rawi al-Adhan, the narrator of the Adhan, he's just famous for that. And that's the only hadith he narrated, right? Um, and those words came without tarjih, right? So there's discussions here, and I don't think this is, you know, I think we've heard enough in terms of, like, the differences. But um, uh, as uh, Sheikh Hamza mentions, it was the companion... Um, uh, Ibn Abi Mahdura, who was one of the three muaddins of the Prophet that did the, that that did the tarjiyah, and he was the muaddin of the Prophet in Mecca Mukarrama, right? Because Prophet he lived in Medina Munawwara, and the hadith of the or the dream of the adhan and the adhan was established in Medina Munawwara. So before Hijra, there was no adhan, right? They weren't calling the adhan in, in Mecca Mukarrama before Hijra. It was in Medina Munawwara, after the Fath of Mecca. Then you have the Adhan in Mecca again, and it's established there. And the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina Munawwara. He had the Mu'addin, you know, Bilal and um, um, Abdullah um, ibn Ummi Maktoum, and then in Mecca, it was Ibn Abi Mahdura. And um, uh, so some of the, the, the Fuqaha Imam Ahmed, specifically in this particular text um, and commentary, mentions that, you know, um, uh, what is dominant is that there shouldn't be tarjiyah and people make the you know the mentioning that the tarjiyah was taught to you know to, to Ibn Abi Mahdura which is after the Fath of Mecca so they use that to show that this was towards the end of Islam and that should you know whereas the the, the dream of Abdullah bin Zaid was when much earlier right after Hijra maybe the second year of Hijra right which was much before uh, prior to the Fath of Mecca, so his method should have been later, and that should have been accepted, right? 
And again, this is just a glimpse into what fiqh is. It's more than just the hadith. When did the hadith happen? And then you hear the proof of like one, why one, one, one is given preference of the other, and it seems like checkmate, it's done. There's the proof right there. Fatah of Mecca was later. And then you hear the response. And the response was when the Prophet went back to Medina, he had Bilal continue calling the Adhan the way he used to before that. So he didn't have him now change it after like, it's not like he taught um, Ibn Abi Mahdura this Adhan and then now this became the new, you know, final method. And then he had Bilal change. Bilal continued in Medina Munawara and Abdullah ibn Umi Maktoum even after the Fatah of Mecca. So then there's a proof again, right? And then there's the answer to the answer of the proof. So then you just learn to understand as a Muslim that we, this is why the ulama are there. This is why the fuqaha were there and we don't just cut them out of our tradition, right? So if you just rely on the hadith, you look up and open up Bukhari to try to you know, learn our Islam. Well, when would Imam Bukhari, when did he live? Was it after the four Imams or before? Much? It was after, right? So what happened in that time between the Prophet and Muhaddithin like Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, Imam Tirmidhi, right? What happened in that era? Did they not know how to pray? We actually have records, very sound records of how Islam was practiced in those generations. So why are we bypassing it and going to the later ones, right? So we have to access those and this is just again something to keep in mind, you know, hopefully as a glimpse into this dars of fiqh of you know, what fiqh is really about. It's not just show me the proof, show me the hadith, right? It's ab about looking at what the ulama had said about it and how they understood it and how it was actually practiced. Um, in Hanafi school, there's no tarjiyah. This is called tarjiyah, to repeat it silently and then say it again loudly. But it's a valid opinion in the Maliki school and even in the Shafi'i school with different um, tones and methods of doing it. So just within those three schools, there's three methods of the adhan. Something which one would think we kind of agreed upon, but we don't. It's, just, it's another proof in itself that we were never meant to be the same in terms of the practice of the branches of our, of our fiqh. Allah make it easy, inshallah. So another, uh, another uh, um, mas'ala that comes up uh, with regards to the adhan is that the, uh, the words, the, sorry, the, the lines of the adhan are meant to be munfasil. Uh, um, they're meant to be separated from each other, and they're meant to end with with jazam. So, uh, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Uh, so the. The idea is that, uh, uh, that, that the lines of the Adhan, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, they stop at the end of the line. Ashadu Allah ilaha illallahu, and then stop. Sorry, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, and then stop. There's, you don't put the i'rab, the grammatical case ending, on, on, on the, 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 the divine name. Ashadu Anna Muhammadar Rasulullah, stop. You don't read the grammatical case ending on uh, Rasulullah. Hayya uh, ala salah. You don't read Hayya ala salati with the grammatical case ending, um, and so every one of the lines should be uh, a sep it should be pronounced separately, and it should be pronounced with a stop. Uh, this uh, masala is relevant. Why? Because uh, every now and again, I'll see somebody if they want to give the adhan, especially the second adhan uh, uh, in Jumaa, people try to get through it quickly so they'll join the lines together. The, the lines of the adhan shouldn't be joined together. 
Um, this is uh, as is to, opposed to the lines of the Iqama. Uh, according to Malik, there may be a different opinion in the Hanafi school that the lines of the Iqama should be joined together. So ideally, the Iqama would be said in one breath. And so he then uh, uh, and then then he narrates the. Uh, uh, the, the narration of the iqama, of which there are there are at least three different uh, narrations of how the uh, iqama should be said. وَالْإِقَامَةُ uh, um, وِتْرٌ Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbaru Ashadu Allah ilaha illallahu Ashadu anna muhammada rasulullahi hayya ala salati hayya ala al-falahi qad qamit as-salatu Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbaru la ilaha illallah that it should ideally be said in one breath and grammatically should all be joined uh, that you should pronounce all of the grammatical case endings at the end of it and so there are different narrations with regards to the uh, um, different narrations with regards to the wording uh, of the Iqama, uh, Imam Tahawi rahimahullah ta'ala in his Sharh Ma'an al-Athar uh, details all of the different narrations in, in, great, uh, uh, in great detail. That there's a narration that is essentially uh, 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 to the effect of, uh, 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 of, the, of the Iqama being like the, 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 the words of the Adhan. And there's a narration uh, uh, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam annahu amara bilalan uh, 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 and that, uh, that he commanded Bilal ta'ala anhu to make the uh, number of lines in the adhan even and to make the number of lines in the adhan odd which means what the thing that's said twice in the in the uh, adhan should be said once in the in the iqama and so that's the narration that Malik takes from and then there's another narration which is the same uh, the same uh, 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 the same wording, uh, uh, but it has at the end of it illa al-iqama, except for the iqama itself, except for the word of qad qamat as-salah, which should be doubled, uh, which is the narration that the Shafi'is take from, and the tar- tar- the the, tarjih, the uh, what you call the preponderance according to Malik of these three, because the, the the hadiths are all validly narrated. This is one interesting kind of separation of powers that the Sharia has is that the muhaddithin are a separate group of people in general and the fuqaha are a separate group of people. Muhaddithin that narrate hadith, they only, by and large, they only discuss who the narrators are, are the narrators upright or not. They don't, they don't decide whether the hadith is correct or not based on what the content of the hadith is because that will introduce a bias into it. Whereas the fuqaha have a horse in the game in terms of which narrations they prefer over which ones. And so the separation of powers, so to, so to speak, it kind of uh, it guarantees a type of, uh, um, it guarantees a type of uh, um, uh, uh, objectivity in, in looking, at the, looking at the issues. So what happens is here you have a case in which there are three narrations, ostensibly, uh, which all uh, uh, say that the iqama should be in a particular way. And they're all different. So now the job of the fuqaha is not to say this one is right and this one is wrong, but to indicate why there's preference for one over the other. And so the, the murajjih in general, Malik rahimahullah ta'ala, in, in terms of the publicly observed acts of worship, the, the, the 
thing that will give precedence or priority to one narration over the others is the thing that uh, uh, Malik observed was the practice in the Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ during the era of the Tabi'een. The idea is that the Tabi'een are the students of the Sahaba and the uh, children of the Sahaba and the relatives of the Sahaba and the freed slaves of the Sahaba and the associates of the Sahaba ta'ala anhum. And so they, they won't pick one of the options uh, and prefer it over the others if it's going to be bogus. In fact, the fact that they pick and prefer it is in and of itself, according to him, a, a sign of its superiority. Uh, and that's something unique in the Maliki school. The Hanafis and the Shafi'is don't, don't accept that. The Shafi'is in particular because Imam Shafi'i is like a very young man when Malik dies. Uh, 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 wa ta'ala. So he doesn't see that, uh, that Medina uh, 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 like Malik sees it. Rahimahullah wa ta'ala. Uh, and so th- these issues, they, you know, they come up in weird ways sometimes. Um, we mentioned before uh, uh, Qadi Abu Yusuf uh, and Imam Muhammad from the companions of, of Abu Hanifa. There are a number of masail, a number of issues in which after meeting with Malik, they'll change their opinion. They'll withdraw their agreement with Abu Hanifa and they'll, they'll change their opinion sometimes in agreement with Malik or sometimes in agreement with something else entirely. Um, but the, you know, uh, Qadi Abu Yusuf will have interesting debates with Malik. So one of the debates that he has with Malik has to do with the size of the 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 muddin, the saa, uh, their volumetric measurements, shari volumetric measurements, uh, and so the mud of Medina was larger than the mud of of uh, of, of Kufa, and uh, the saa of Medina was larger than the saa of Kufa because the saa is four times the mud. The mud is the volumetric equivalent of the Mubarak cupped hands of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So you can imagine the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa he told the people to transact in volume instead of in weight, and there's barakah in it. So the ulama write one of the reasons for that is because it's harder to cheat people in volume, whereas you can cheat people with weight because you can't visually assess weight, whereas you can visually assess volume. And I think one of the reasons there's barakah is also look at what the actual, the, 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 the quantum of the mud is. It's actually literally the, the, the mubarak hands of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Someone buys and sells in that. You can see that that's... Uh, there would be barakah in it. And it's very sad and unfortunate. Many of the marketplaces in the Muslim world, uh, they've abandoned uh, transacting like this uh, in favor of the Western style of transacting by weight. And it's there's so much cheating that goes on and it. uh, it's, it's really uh, shameful and embarrassing. But at any rate, the, uh, uh, the, the, the mud and the sa'a of the Madanis was larger than the one of the Iraqis. And so uh, uh, Abu Yusuf once uh, challenged Malik to uh, debate Malik Ta'ala was not a debating type guy. He usually took a dim view of these things and usually the only debates that he would engage in was when Abu Yusuf, because he's the chief justice of the, of the caliphate, and so he would usually rule in the caliphal entourage. So Harun Rashid would be with him. The Khalifa would be with him. So Malik would try to duck out of the debates and then when the Khalifa is there, he says, no, answer him. And then he has to answer him. So then they would engage in it. So one of the debates that they had had to do with the, uh, with the, uh, uh, the size of the, the sa'a, which one is correct. And so what happens is uh, uh, Abu Yusuf starts to narrate with regards to the sa'a of, uh, 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 of, of Kufa, what the, what the proofs are for its tarjih, uh, of its, of its uh, uh, being correct. And uh, uh, after hearing his narrations, Malik, rahimullah ta'ala, he says, look, he goes, we can end this discussion right now. Let's go, come. And so they go and they, they, they knock on the door of a house and they ask the guy, do you have like a measuring scoop for the sa'a? It's for amdad, for muds. 
And he says, yes, of course. So he says, bring it out. So he brings out the scoop. And he says, that he, says that he asks Abu Yusuf, he says, which size is it, the Kufan one or the Madani one? He says, obviously, we're in Medina. It's the Madani one. And so Malik asked the, 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 person, the owner of the scoop in the house. He says, that, whose scoop is this? He says, look, it says it's engraved on the handle. It belonged to my father, uh, sorry, my grandfather the, uh, who gave it to my father who gave it to me. Uh, my grandfather was a companion of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and used to transact in it during the life of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so it said that Abu Yusuf, right? Because the Mashaikh in the old days, they weren't like dogmatic, dog pig headed people. People say, oh, look, this, this is shirk. I'm saying Allah and Rasul, and you're saying Malik, and you're saying Abu Hanifa, and this is shirk, and this is kufr. And by the name, people like get carried away and say all these outlandish and ridiculous things. The old Mashaikh, they used to change their mind too sometimes. And, uh, uh, um, you know, this is a, a very beautiful example of what? Of a legal issue which is settled without, without recourse to hadith. Hmm. The idea that the tradition, that there is tradition, there's a living and oral tradition as well, uh, which takes primacy and superiority over, over, over hadith by, by nothing else but common sense, you know. And so, uh, again, if somebody, you know, Abu Hanifa never changed his opinion. If someone were to say that, I believe that the Sa is lesser or the Muta is lesser, I say, oh, Khalas, I differ, disagree with you. It's not something to beat, beat another person over the head with. After all, they do have their narrations. God knows what the explanation might be, but they have their narrations that, that confirm to them that that's, that's the correct opinion. But at the same time, you know, I mentioned these types of stories for, for people because people become so like one-tracked in their thinking. Um, and they don't understand really what the difference of opinion is. That first of all, you have a number of choices that are really not all that different from one another, and all of them have some sort of some sort of uh, 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 you know basis in the law. And oftentimes, it's an issue of what's good and what's better, and what's best. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, but people will say, "Well, I'm right and you're wrong." Good and better and right and wrong are two very different things. There's not an analogy that you can construct between the two of them. Uh, and so uh, uh, that's the tarjih of Malik. Whenever you have all of these different opinions, Malik will generally prefer tradition over uh, over over uh, narration, uh, especially when there are uh, sound narrations on all of the different fronts. And uh, I'll leave to Sheikh Musa, inshallah, to explain the Hanafi school, you know, what the, what the mechanism of tarjih, of, of, of selecting uh, between valid narrations is. But uh, the idea is that the law is a bit more, uh, it's a bit more complicated than just asking someone, you know, like, here's my abridged copy of the translation of Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. That's like the whole Sharia is not contained within that, nor is a half of it or a tenth of it, you know. One thing then that would be noteworthy is when it comes to discussions about the madahib in the four madhabs, is that the madhab is not the action. Like the madhab is not that you raise your hands in prayer when rising from ruku or you don't, or you say amin loudly or you say it silently. That's not the madhab. The madhab is the, the, the framework and the usul through which they derive a conclusion. That's the madhab. And that needs to remain consistent. And that's why you can't necessarily jump from here or there because then you become inconsistent in your reasoning. Um, so one of the things that um, the Malikis and the Hanafis have in common is they did rely more on the oral tradition because they were closer to the generation of the Prophet So out of the four Imams, who were, you know, who was the eldest? Mm -hmm. Abu Hanifa, and then Malik, and then Shafi'i, and then Ahmed ibn Hanbal. Right? So these were the four Imams. Malik and Imam Abu Hanifa. Abu Hanifa was, was a tabi'i. He met Sahaba, right? Um, and then 
Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik, they were closer to the generation of the Prophet And as you go further away from the generation of the Prophet that's when you know you started to have you know some dilution, um, a little bit of um, diluting in the practice, and you couldn't just rely on the practice anymore. And that was witnessed in the Shafi school and in the Hamidi school, and then ultimately in the in the in the in the era of the Muhaddithin, which is after Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, right? So Imam Ahmed was actually a teacher of Imam Bukhari, just to put the kind of timeline there again. So it gets to the time of Abu Hanifa and Malik, where there's a reliance on the oral tradition, to where it eventually becomes very much the uh, the, the era of Muhaddithin and they rely on actual written text more than they did the, the, the oral tradition and the practice. Um, so you see the strength of something like this. You had the luxury of actually going on, knocking on the door and having them, someone show you like the scoop that was like given to them from their grandfather who was a companion of the Prophet and used to transact. You had that luxury. You don't have that luxury later on. So you're not always necessarily going to have the hadith. Or you might find like the Hanafis do something in a particular way or the Malikis do something in a particular way, but then there's a hadith in Bukhari, right, um, which says otherwise. And you can't necessarily find a hadith that is equal in strength to the hadith that is in Bukhari. So then the question is then why don't we just take the hadith in Bukhari? Well, because that practice was very soundly transmitted to us, even if the hadith wasn't. Right from the generation of the of, of Abu Hanifa or Imam Malik, and and that's why we kind of that's why we stick with that. Um, so Imam um, Sheikh Hamza was talking about the ikhama and how it's singular, and you cut it in half. So here's another classic: is not just the then even the ikhama. You have three madhabs that have three opinions: the Shafi's, the Hanafi's, and the Maliki's all say a different uh, type of ikhama. Right. So in the Maliki school, I don't know if you picked it up or not. What was different from what you're used to hearing? Anyone? Singular, right? In what? No, but it's the 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 Allah Akbar, Allah Ashhadu Allah Ilaha Allah, Ashhadu Muhammad, that's singular, right? And the stuff that's called that then you have to be singular and that comes. On what? The the word that's repeated from the. Someone call the Akama the way they know it. Ahad Yahman, call the Akama, please. He did it singular, right? What was different from the Maliki school then? Even the Qadaqamati Salah is singular. Even that is singular in the Maliki school. In the Hanafi school, right? You double up everything just like the Adhan. And then you had Qadaqamati Salah twice. Right? So you have three of the Imams who have three different opinions, but they were all different. All of them are narrated though through sound hadith. Right. And he mentioned of Imam Tahawi, who was the master of hadith and fiqh, and he, you know, has a, a wonderful book and he mentions all of these hadith and then he gives his opinion, right? Um, known as the Nadr of Imam Tahawi, which is most famous for his text, he then gives his preference of why he says this hadith over this, that hadith, right? And we have the blessing of studying it, and Maulana Hamza always laments of why it's not taught in its entirety, although he had the luxury, mashallah, of studying it in its entirety, mashallah. But most of the Madaris, they don't have the time to actually get through every single um, part of the book. Um, but they, they say they don't have the time. The sad fact is they may not even Allah. have the teachers to, <laughs> to teach it. MashaAllah. <laughs> because right. uh, all, all the smart guys are busy becoming doctors and stuff. So, you know. MashaAllah. <laughs> <laughs>
So it, it beautifully lays it all out. All the hadith that are mentioned about adhan, about iqama, and which scholar said this and which scholar said that. And then he says, okay, this is what I say. And he very beautifully gives his, his reasoning behind um, um, why it's one way over the other. Um, but nevertheless, this is another classic example of how there's something legitimate, a legitimate difference in the books of fiqh. Um, and it, it becomes sad that you would ever criticize someone for doing it a particular way. Because in reality, what are you doing? Criticizing the Prophet. You're criticizing the Prophet. That's why it becomes so dangerous. What is in Hujurat? Yeah, later on after that. Right. You may say something disrespectful or over the Prophet without even realizing it, and you will, dis you will destroy all of your deeds. All of your deeds will be wiped out because this is a very, very, it's like, you know, if you disrespect your mother or your father, that's like un unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Right? To do that to the Prophet is tantamount to kufr if it's done like purposefully. And if it's done accidentally, then at the very minimum, all of your deeds are gone. Right? So that's how something like a person will criticize a sound opinion in our sharia, in our deen, because of not knowing, thinking like, what is this ignorant person doing? He's an innovator, he doesn't know hadith. And then what they're really doing is criticizing the sunnah of the Prophet And may Allah Ta'ala protect us from that. That's why the, the, the default out of caution is if you see someone doing something differently, just say Allah knows best, maybe it's some difference of opinion. And you know, that's one thing if you know, we learn something when we study, is just to learn how to be quiet. Learn how to be quiet, because we probably don't know like 99% of what's actually there. So um, in the, the comma for the Hanif physical, as I mentioned, is just like the adhan, that's where we're different in that regard. We say just like the adhan, we double up. And the, the opinion, right, Imam Sheikh Hamza mentioned how you say it and you make Arab, you make it har in one breath, so you say all the, the Arab. You don't have to say the Arab in the Hanafi school, but you should still say it in one breath, right? So that's what we mean when that's the, the interpretation of right? That you make the adhan even and the, and the ikhama ad. Meaning for the Adhan, you do two breaths, right? And for the Ikhama, you do one breath. So like in the Adhan, you'll be, Ashhadu la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu la ilaha illallah. But in the Ikhama, you do what? Ashhadu la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu la ilaha illallah. One breath. Ashhadu anna Muhammad al-Rasulullah. Ashhadu anna Muhammad al-Rasulullah. One breath. Without necessarily having to say the Arab, Ashhadu anna Muhammad al-Rasulullah. Ashhadu anna Muhammad al-Rasulullah. Hayya ala salah, hayya ala salah. Hayya ala falah, hayya ala falah. One breath. One breath, right? So that's the interpretation of doing it singular. And Allah Ta'ala knows best. So there is also the tarasul, that you do it calmly for the adhan, and then you do it with isra' in the ikhama. Yeah.